Women Make Waves is an NC Fit podcast. What's up, listeners? Welcome back to another episode of the Women Make Waves podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today, Bloom and I are sitting down with Candice. Mama Kay is in the house. I was so excited to have this conversation after being introduced to Candice in the Morning Chalk Ups 14 Women Making Waves in the CrossFit industry. And we talked all about business. It's been a really long time since we've talked about women in business on the show, dating back to one of our early shows with Kelly Starrett's wife, Juliette Starrett. If you have not listened to that, be sure to go back and listen to episode two. It was super fun. Candace also absolutely brings the heat in today's episode. We talk about treating your role like a business, creating and maintaining culture, and how winning is never fun alone, how to lead with your team. Can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode. And if you're looking for something to do while you're listening, be sure to check out NC Flex. Listening to podcasts is probably one of my favorite ways to train and the NC Flex programming is set up perfectly for that. Get your hands on the NC Fit app. You get a week for free. You are going to love it. You get three different workout tracks every day. It's like a coach and a training partner in your pocket all at the same time. Be sure to check that out and all the other ways to get involved with NC Fit in the show notes. And until next week, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another Women Make Waves podcast. I'm your host, Bloom. I'm here with Lynn and Candice Hudspeth. Candice is CMO of Hybrid Performance Method and also happens to be such a badass businesswoman um, in the coaching space, but then outside of that as well. So Candice, thank you so much, so much, so much for being here. And I would love to kick off this episode like we do all of them by asking, how are you making waves? Thank you guys so much for having me. I think when Lindsay reached out, I was like, are you sure? I don't feel like I'm the right, the typical guest. And even when the making waves, uh, article came up on morning chalk up, I said the same thing to Emily. I'm like, don't you want to interview some athlete that's out there doing crazy skills? Um, it's actually like a super big honor to be able to have these kinds of conversations and inspire hopefully a, a next generation of women to want to just achieve things, uh, that maybe they didn't think were possible. I know like for me, I'm, a uh, about to hit 40, which is, feels crazy. doesn't feel real all the time. <laughs> and I look back at like the last 20 years of work and I remember what it was like coming up as a young female in business and what kind of the stereotypical expectation was if you were a female uh, in a leadership role, if you were, you know, a boss babe of some sorts, like you were kind of a bitch, you were firm, you had that stigma around you. And, uh, I, I just saw that and it was like, I don't want to be that as a leader. You know, there's enough room for us to all have success. There's enough room for me to bring others along with me as I climb the corporate ladder and like winning is never fun alone. So I've always been a team player and thought that there could be a different way to lead. Um, so I guess for me, that question about making waves, I, I thought about it for a while and I was like, what does that mean? You know, like, is it just like splashing around, making noise, drawing attention to yourself? Um, or is it about momentum and change? Is it, is it about direction? And I think for me, my leadership style has always been finding this balance of, you know, earned respect and credibility through your craft, but also being able to balance uh, being a leader 
uh, with being a team member, an effective player on the field, someone who's always staying, you know, within the work. Um, and that's, you know, it's not easy. It's not an easy balance to find as, you know, trying to be a leader of the people with the people and not just like giving people direction. Um, and so, yeah, for me, I've, I found that balance, staying close to the work, staying always committed to um, shepherding a team and a culture towards the greater outcome um, or the greater good, uh, the mission that we're trying to achieve and making sure that, you know, I'm always in a place of maximizing my, my assets that I have at my disposal, whether that be the team, the resources, and getting everyone to collaborate together for, you know, toward that broader vision. Um, and so I think that's, that's kind of how I'm making waves is by not splashing about and making it about myself, but always making it about moving the team uh, in a positive direction and creating momentum for the team. I think that's so important. And it's such a common theme that we come back to. We had um, Juliet Starrett was our second guest on the show. And we talked a ton about that. Like she has been such a woman like yourself in these positions of power and has never ruled uh, what's that with an iron fist? Is that the, the term? Yeah. I typically just like try to say terms with a lot of confidence and hope that nobody catches me when I'm right. actually saying them wrong. Um, anyhow, and did you always have that mindset? Cause I know for me, it took well into my late twenties to be like, Oh, there's room at the top for all of us. I don't have to take up all of this space and not in, like invite you in. So have you always been that way or was there a big shift? And if there was, what kind of was the catalyst of that? I think I've always been that way a bit. And I, a lot of that I think comes from, it's interesting because like sport wise, I've have competed in cheerleading uh, growing up and that led into like my knee dabbling and fitness competitions and bodybuilding. And then uh, most of my like sporting um, after that in my adult life was more individualized, but team sport in cheerleading, obviously it's like every player matters. Every position matters. The performance, uh, that's given impact to at the end, that show and that, that outcome is what matters most. And so, you know, you know, your role and you know how to support those roles around you, uh, for the performance to go off and practicing that with consistency. So I think the, cheerleading taught me a lot of those values. Um, and then obviously even in individualized sports for success, you build a team around you, uh, to be able to set the systems up that you need. And so I think that's sport has really ingrained that in me. And when I entered the business world, um, I think being able to visually see the impact of, um, that person's lifestyle who may be led in the opposite way. And it was more, um, dictatorial or, uh, you know, someone who wasn't really necessarily willing to roll up their sleeves and get into the dirty work with the team, but was always directing the team to act that way. It, it just, it was never, you, you'd always see that disparity in the team, not wanting to work for that person or the resentment that would build, um, the negativity that would poison the culture. And I just, I just knew I didn't want that for the teams that I was going to be leading. I, I want to genuinely have good relationships with the people I work with. And it's so rewarding to see them succeed and to see them grow and to have those light bulb moments. Um, I would rather have that than any accolade that I'm going to get on my own. I think a lot of times, um, like a, a fear for a lot of people is this like imposter syndrome kind of feeling of who am I to lead this team? Like where 
do I fit in, in terms of what can I give people, you know, like you're saying to develop this team and to help these people and support them and pull them up with you. Um, I'm curious to know for you, like, did you experience any of that? And if so, kind of how did you navigate that? No, it's such an interesting topic because that comes up in a lot of conversations. And just, I think in the today, obviously like being an entrepreneur or being, you know, someone that's very public facing in social media is sort of like the desire for a lot of people in their career path. And it definitely wasn't for me. Um, I kind of like being more um, operational and on, on the back end, like, you know, the situation that I'm in now, obviously at hybrid, um, I have this amazing talent with both Steffi and Hayden, but just take Steffi because she's known, you know, very more for being this like strong front facing woman. And like, I love being able to support her in doing that well. And um, so, I, so imposter syndrome, I think comes from lack of experience maybe. Um, and for me in my career, it was always about, okay, well, so originally when I went to school, I was exercise science, kinesiology, wanted to be a coach. That was my whole direction. What I was coaching, um, through my undergrad and partially through some of my masters. And I realized very quickly that from a lifestyle perspective, there was an alignment and a net positive return financially for the lifestyle that I wanted to live. And I flipped to business, um, through school and then decided marketing was a great, a great place for me. And there's so much synergy between like coaching and marketing. That's a rabbit hole that we could go down. But for me, I was like, well, I want to build amazing brands and I want to build amazing brands that stand for something. And so I'm going to really get great at that craft of brand building. And I'm going to study and obviously pursued uh, after undergrad into uh, postgrad work with my MBA and started doing a lot of work with um, advertising agencies. And that, you know, my, that's how my career grew, but it was all getting that experience hands-on, working, perfecting the skill set, perfecting the craft. And a lot of it is you know, just trial and error, uh, getting projects that are a bit over your head, um, taking them on as, you know, with the best of your ability, obviously, in some kind of a safety network with mentorship, um, and then just gaining that experience. So I, for me, being in a leadership role, that happened rather quickly. Um, in my career because I was in a newer field of obviously digital marketing was just starting um, SEO, SEM, social was like very, very rudimentary um, back then, web development, all these things. But the team that I was leading was a team that was really trying to understand core customer behavior and using search engine data to understand um, behavioral patterns and improve marketing language and brand building mechanisms from that raw data that we are mining from search. And so because that's like a new competency, we were testing and learning, building new processes. And once we cracked a formula that worked well, I was just able to perfect that and then teach that. So then me becoming not, you know, just a contributor uh, for one brand on one team, me building teams that did that became a thing. Um, But I would never have probably stepped into my first leadership role had I not had the competency of the craft first. And I think just like in coaching where you, you know, you're always working on that pursuit of mastery, whatever it is that you're working into to grow into a leadership role or to teach others, like you better know it damn well. And then I think that alleviates a lot of the imposter syndrome, but I do feel like the imposter syndrome thing comes from this pressure of being public with your skill set so early and maybe too early for some, maybe some aren't quite ready for that pressure of being public or, um, 
now it's just very, you're vulnerable because you are in a public situation as you're growing and learning and that's exposed to everyone. Um, but the more we label things like, I don't know, anxiety, obviously it's a real thing, but the more you like normalize that conversation, the more it like becomes a thing in your own mind. And so I think if I were like talking myself into imposter syndrome, I'm sure I could talk myself there like anyone could, but at the end of the day, it's like, we're all here doing our best. And if the intention is pure and you're really committed to owning your craft and, and performing it to the best of your ability, uh, hopefully that stuff goes away for people. Yeah. And I also think a big piece of it is, um, like you're saying the, um, like going out public before you're ready, maybe things like that. I also think it's, it's a little bit of comparison. It's like, I'm comparing myself to where I think I should be. And I put should in air quotes because like, mm -hmm. we don't believe in that word here, but like we compare ourselves to our rung two on a ladder, um, to someone else's rung 50 on that ladder. And it's like, how are you going to get from two to 50? Well, you're obviously not going to jump. You have to go to the next rung. And I know that that for me was a really big, um, not a really big hurdle, but it was a hurdle that I had to get over was understanding that it doesn't have to be, the, I don't have to be there tomorrow. I don't have to be this huge brand tomorrow, but I do have to take the next step. And I think that's where a lot of people do get stuck. So I love kind of what you're saying here about just start smaller, you know, boil it down to what exactly, you know, and then create that confidence, like you're saying, and you can build on that from there. It's like um, overnight successes, you know, everyone's yeah. like, oh, this person just like, came out of nowhere and they were amazing and they built this amazing thing, um, but they don't always see the under, underground or undercover work that's been, that's gone in for years and years and years. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine like the social pressures of, of younger people today. I mean, I'm thinking like even like teens and preteens as they're trying to dream, what do they want to be when they grow up and they have all this influence coming at them from media and then the pressure to try to emulate that without the skill set or the knowledge. And um, it must be crazy, but yeah, I, I, I like the mindset of like, you know, hustling in silence a little bit more and um, just dedicating that time to, to growth, perfecting your craft to self-improvement, like whatever that is that you want to achieve. It may not be a professional skill set could totally be like a health um, personal health ideal that you're trying to achieve, but you know, talking about it is one thing you do have the accountability factor of putting it out there, but just getting to work. Uh, day by day is so powerful. When you talk about building this confidence through competence, um, we can't possibly know it all, right? That'd be exhausting if we did. But what? how do you, as being a leader, address not knowing something? And how do you work with your team through that? Yeah, I, I mean, every industry is so different and demands different skill sets and competencies from players across the board. But I, I think there's real power in specialization, especially as you're, you're starting your career. From a marketing perspective, we can just start there. Um, there are so many facets to marketing, you know, whether it's on the creation side, you know, there's, there's so many segments of content creation, whether it, if you're focusing on video, you know, you could be a lighting expert, you could be behind the camera on the cinematography side, you could be on the edit front, you could be uh, audio engineer, you could be motion graphics, like there's so many facets to being great at creating content. But nowadays, content creators are expected to be like a one man show and to be able to do all these things on their own. 
and often they're self-taught. So, you know, they do the best they can and then they kind of get some kind of encouragement or insight into where they could improve, I don't know, color theory in, in some way. And then they start studying that facet. So I think that the, it starts with specialization and kind of really discovering all of the facets that specializing in that one area could require that might allow you to drill down and specialize even more and spend really adequate time in developing competency in each area and allow the skill gained to kind of reflect in the work that you're producing that may, you may not have, you know, like you might have amazing uh, coloration of a video, but like your audio might be, you know, 50% of what it could be. Uh, But that's where you are right now. And then the next project that you take on, you're going to improve from that perspective, right? And that's like such a minor example, but that's just one aspect of, of content creation. And on the marketing side, you know, it might be identity development. It might be, um, you know, copywriting. It might be paid advertising. It might be partnerships. It might be events. It might be uh, media and content creation. It might just be brand strategy. It might be growth and acquisition. Like there's so many uh, areas that you need to be thinking about, um, but without adequate time in each area, developing competency, you're just, you're never going to be that player. So I think finding the aspects of wherever it, whatever it is you're trying to build competency in, finding the aspects you're most drawn to and passionate about really going as deep as you possibly can. And then finding that next step to go deeper in, um, and then allowing that to make you more well-rounded. And obviously as you grow, like your perspective is going to shift and train, it's going to influence thoughts that maybe, you, uh, you know, had from a different perspective when you didn't know the thing you didn't know. Um, so I don't, that's a hard question to answer unless we get really specific, but I hope that's a helpful illustration for my team. I encourage them to be specialists. Um, and I try to give them the space to be amazing at that skill set that they're trying to give a developed competency in, but then also expose them to the other aspects of the department that they're within or the business at large so that they you know, when they hear terms, they're not completely new to them, that they're thinking about it from a more holistic picture. Um, I really, as my career has developed, like CMO roles end up overlapping a lot with CEO roles because you're often in a position, you know, the customer value so well, and you know, the the business mission so well that you end up kind of shaping the, cult, the uh, corporate vision more so, um, especially in smaller companies, like there just might not be all these roles. So getting really clear on the vision for what this company, why it exists, uh, what it wants to achieve, um, defining those core values and really clear KPIs for a team and then communicating them on a very consistent level so that everyone in the organization understands like, okay, this is my role, this is my craft, I'm getting better, but this is where the larger team is going and how, how my role contributes to that. I think it's really important for people to see that they're not just out here crafting things, like creating content on a wheel all the time. They're, they're actually creating content for purpose and they have to really understand that purpose to do their job effectively. I think that segues perfectly into the culture conversation. Um, how do you kind of let culture emanate through, like you were saying, every layer of the business so that somebody that's working on something that in, in somebody else's eyes might seem like this really high profile thing to work on. And then I'm like low man on the totem pole feeling like what I'm contributing to isn't quote as important as this, this project that's also happening. Um, how do you get a team on board and have culture just kind of radiate from every person on that team? Yeah. 
it's tough because culture, it's like, it exists, whether you shape it or not. Right. It's like, it just, it is there. Like every team or gym or company you walk into, like you feel something just like, like a brand, like your brand exists regardless of if you're putting effort towards it or not, like you're creating an impression in someone's mind. Um, and so you either decide to like really control that and shape it the way you want it to exist, or you decide not to. And that's also, you know, a, a telling experience for people. So I think as a leader, you have to really own the culture, um, which, you know, it, it means defining it for yourself. Like this, this is the way it's really behavior-based. This is the way I want my company to behave. This is the way I want my team to treat each other. This is the way, this is, these are the expectations that I have, and this is acceptable behavior and this is not acceptable behavior. And it's like what you allow, you're basically promoting, you know? And, um, and that's tough because a lot of people don't like confrontation. A lot of people don't like conflict and, it's like, that just shows me you're a poor leader because a leader has to deal with conflict all day long. Um, especially when you're like, when you're managing teams virtually, you know, I have a Slack thread with a bazillion channels and it's going all day long, but it's my job to be aware of all the conversations that are happening at some level uh, across the organization in there. And to acknowledge when someone is behaving in a way that highlights the values that I know are important for us and to celebrate them publicly and yeah, give them a high five. Like, yeah, that's how we behave. That's how we do things here. And conversely, when something happens, that's not like I have to call it out because if I allow that, like that can become such a, a strong poison for the rest of the team. And then, you know, two months down the road, you have everyone behaving the same way, which then your culture totally shifts. So defining I think defining, you know, how you want your organization to behave, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, communicating that, but um, the people have to feel those values. Uh, they have to believe in them. They have to finding the right people fit sometimes. Like sometimes you're just going to have people on the team that don't fit the culture that you want. And then you have to make that choice of, you know, subtracting them to add value to the team long-term. Um, and so those are hard leadership uh, decisions, but I hope that kind of at least gets us on the path of answering that question. Absolutely. Um, but this is, this is bringing something up that I think is really interesting and it's this like navigating building culture and being the, the person that kind of emanates that culture virtually, because that I can imagine was a challenge. I could imagine it was a challenge building culture in an area where, you know, everybody is together. But now there's this whole added layer of the fact that your team is virtual. Nobody's in the same room. So it's not like people are just watching you just be a person, right? Like you can't just like walk the walk all the time because people aren't going to see it. So how are you navigating that? And has this been, um, have you guys always been virtual like this? Or is this kind of a newer um, thing for you guys? Like so many people. Hybrid grew um, over the last six years really rapidly. And um, we've always, not always, but for the most part of the existence of the business, there's been the physical space in Miami, which is the, the gym. And we've moved locations and now to now have a different location. When we expanded beyond um, online training, uh, our programming and nutrition, we um, also built out an apparel business. And so we have uh, about two blocks away from our gym, we have a phys another physical space. It's kind of our 
our headquarters slash warehouse factory and also um, kind of houses and a media space for us, which we use the gym a lot as, an, as a media space too. But so the team can gather and I, you know, I'm there pretty frequently. I head out every couple months, usually every other month for at least a week at a time, sometimes, you know, eight to 10 days. And usually I'll stack larger projects that we need to execute uh, around the time of my travel. But um, so that helps because obviously like eating meals with people, just spending time with people really helps um, develop that culture. And you definitely have to have a balance of like working hard, playing hard and, and having the, the connections. But virtual, I feel like people make it harder maybe than, than it has to be. But um, it's so easy now to, I mean, I'm in Slack as just a great tool, right? Because you can quick add text messages, but I can easily have a phone call. I can easily pop into a video through the app itself. Um, I think the harder part with being virtual is no is setting boundaries uh, because, you know, we're on a couple different time zones. Um, people's schedules are off. We try to have a flexible working style for the team, but also there's a core base of working hours that everyone needs to kind of respect so that, you know, I'm not up at midnight because someone's wanting to edit videos at midnight. Right. Um, and, and needs my feedback on something, but, uh, really being able to connect, it just, it's just being a bit more extroverted, which not everyone is like, even when we were in office space, not everyone would get out of their desk and go talk to someone down the hall. Um, and having a conversation is just so much more effective than sometimes a written email or a text message. You just can't feel tone. Um, for us, you know, we do like a quarterly team meeting that is larger vision based and sets, you know, here we reflect on the previous quarter's performance. Um, I talk a lot about metrics and KPIs that we're going to set for the next at least month, but usually the quarter. Um, I'll highlight sort of key projects so everyone knows outside of like the day-to-day -day work that's expected. These are the larger things that we need to be pushing toward. And yes, they might be above and beyond, but here's how we're going to get them done. And, and these are the goals. And then uh, weekly touch points with all of my team members. I used to do sort of like weekly staff meetings and that were more kind of status focused, kind of emulating more of a scrum model. But it just became uh, like people weren't engaged on those calls. So I'm like, I'm not going to waste people's time with that. So now I just sort of my, my team, I know what they need. And I think that's the thing. You have to know what your people need and what they want to be effective. My team needs a lot of really short um, task lists. And I, I just call them hit lists. And so I, especially my media guys, like they just want to know what's the next five things I need to get done and what's the order of priority and who's giving me feedback and approvals on these things, right? So something super simple as that, I can send them on a Monday morning um, in a group chat and they have a quick hit list and they know what they need to get done for the week. And if there's questions about it, we can jump on a call and talk. Um, but creating that really open rapport with your team, that's like my, my job first and foremost is to lead them and always be accessible. So if there's, if they need anything at any given time, they should know that they can approach me no matter when it is or what I'm doing. Um, and I'm going to make time for them. And secondly, they should know what their priorities are and they should know the order of delivery and they should have clarity around what's expected of each of those things. And if they do that, they really don't need much, you know, then, then they have the space to like be creative, do their, create what they want to create, have um, some authority to have control over what that work product looks like, and then present the finished product for some kind of feedback. And those meetings go much more effective, but uh, it does put a lot more 
effort on, on the part of the leader, because you have to be so much more aware. And depending on how many teams you're managing, the size of the organization, like we're 50 people, which doesn't sound huge and not everyone is full-time, but it's across, you know, four different business units, um, all with multiple projects beneath them. And I have to be aware of all the things to be effectively serve my team. And I, I think, and maybe that's a better way to say about making waves is more of like servant leadership versus dictatorial leadership. Um, but yeah, just, it, there's no easy way around having to put in the time to get to know, just like in marketing, who's your target audience? Who are your people? What are their pain points? How are you going to solve them? How are you going to create a clear vision and a path to success that they believe in and they're committed to, and then over time gain their trust? Cause it's not like they just, I came into their lives two years ago and they didn't have this. And now we have this awesome relationship, but it, it took two years to build, you know? if that makes sense. So when you talk about boundaries in the workplace, because I think a lot of us struggle with that, I, I shouldn't even say, I'm just going to speak from personal experience. I, hi, my name's Lindsay and I struggle with work boundaries. <laughs> um, how do you then delineate? Because you're talking about uh, specializing, right? And being like, I own this. I am badass at X, whatever it is, Right. And I can attack this really, really well. And then you get the opportunity to level up or you get the opportunity put in your lap to work on a project that is maybe bigger than a project you've worked on before. It kind of pushes you out of your comfort zone. That's where my boundaries get loosey-goosey because I'm like, oh, I've like won all this experience. And now here I am working on a Saturday morning and I didn't say no to this because it seemed like a good experience here. How do you balance being a go-getter and wanting to level up and also owning what is yours that you know you can be badass at. Mm, yeah, gosh, so much of that for me, I would say comes down to clarity and it's something I struggle with a lot. I, just as I do for our business units, at least on a quarterly basis for myself, I have to go through the process of really evaluating what do I, what do I want? Like, what do I want? What is my ultimate goal? What makes me happy? Are all the things that I'm doing right now contributing to, to get me to that goal? And if not, like, what are the detractors and how do I eliminate those? Because, and that's tough younger in your career, because like you said, you want to accumulate all these experiences, but prioritizing the accumulation matters uh, because if you are, let's say you have six of these experiences on your plate at the same time, like, are you really gaining the knowledge? Because you're probably only a quarter in on a lot of these things versus going really deep. And then saying like, okay, I, I have enough competency in this area that it's time for me to take on the next. Um, so I think that comes back to you, like you personally, what do you want to achieve out of your career, at least in the next, you know, three years? What's, what does that look like for you? Is it changing? Asking yourself that as frequently as possible. And then are all of the experiences and things that you're working on right now, how specifically are they contributing to getting you closer to that? And are there things that aren't? And if there aren't, like, how can you remove them? How can you, I took this on, you know, two quarters ago because I thought it was getting me closer, but now it's turned into something different. How can I end that? Right. Cause I think a lot of times people, and I have probably have a very similar personality to you. We are like more and more and more and more. We keep taking on the more, but we forget to offload the things that we had taken on six months ago that probably aren't that necessary anymore. Or we could easily um, give them to someone else who's probably ready for them at this point. 
or if we're doing our job right, or hopefully we're mentoring someone to be ready to take on those things for us. Um, but yeah, clarity. And it's tough because we're going a thousand miles a minute. We're doing so much, but we're, we are important. And I have to remind myself that too. This is, I'm speaking to Candace. Like you are important just as much as I value serving the team and um, the mission of like creating something that truly impacts fitness in a powerful way at an industry level. I am also a person who wants to have happiness in my life that wants to take care of myself um, and my personal fitness goals. I want to have relationships that are strong in my personal life. Am I doing, or am I able to do all those things well, if I'm spread so thin? No. Um, yeah. And having those, those checkpoints with yourself are really important. What are some of those things that you do as, you know, self-care for yourself? For me, it's training. Um, like if I am not able to move and, and for that, for people, for everyone that's different, but for me, it's like um, movement creatively. Like I, I want to be strong. I want to be athletic. I want to be able to, I don't want to have limitations on the skills that I acquire. So I don't want to be afraid to, you know, in my tiny garage, kick up into a handstand, walk to the wall, pirouette and walk away because I have a, a treadmill two inches next to me. Like I'm like, Oh, I don't want to be scared of doing that. So I want to practice those things. So gaining like skill acquisition, um, and movement is kind of that therapy. And I know that if I put that effort in in the morning and I resist the urge to kind of stay in bed and be warm and cozy, um, it's just building that strength muscle. Like training has always been that way for me. And like the discipline that I apply in the gym or through any form of sport and competition, I know carries over to decisions I make during the day with my team. Um, how you do anything is how you do everything kind of mindset. So for me, training is there, um, more so in the last four to five years, walking outside, uh, at least twice a day. Um, one of the reasons I decided to get the dog was I wanted like no excuses. I have to be outside at least two hours a day in the sun, getting that on my skin and my eyes, preferably in the morning and breathing the fresh air and trying to be unplugged. Um, those are probably, I'm pretty simple. And like, if I'm not working and building things, I'm in the gym or I'm out on a walk on a hike uh, with my boyfriend and dog. I love that so much. Go ahead, Lynn. No, I was going to say the same thing. Like we don't, it, people get so caught up in self-care and like, what's all the biohacks? What's all these things that I can do? And you're like, homegirl, if you are stressing yourself out about your self-care, you're negating the point of what it is. So I love that it's simple. Um, I kind of want to pivot the conversation because I have had a lot of conversations with friends, with clients around um, money and people, especially it seems like my, my girlfriends, right? The women in my life having a really difficult relationship with it, whether it's um, I want to make more money and I don't know how I want to ask for a raise and I feel uncomfortable doing it. Is there anything that you would suggest or any place you would start for someone wrestling with those questions? Yeah, that's a tough one. And I personally, I mean, a lot of this is so dependent on how you grow up. Right. And like I growing up went through, um, my mom went through a couple of marriages and divorces and I saw, um, the volatility and impact on our livelihood based on where she was at, you know, working, not working in a relationship, not in a relationship. And so I always had this thought in my head growing up, like, 
you will be the sole provider for all the things that you need. You will not depend on a man, like, you know, all of those, like, that is so very independent woman. (laughs) And I pivoted from, you know, the thing I love most, which is, you know, coaching and fitness into business was financial security. I was like, no, I know that there's a possibility for me to have success here and achieve this thing in my head. That's like, you will be this woman who contributes everything that you need financially for yourself. Um, I knew that the growth that I would experience in business was just had much more potential. So I, I made that choice solely for that reason. And that's could be perceived as like scarcity mindset. Maybe Uh, you can't change the things that you do. So I went down that path, but, um, and I chased, corporate growth and leadership roles and working and sleeping at the office, working 19 hour days for years, because I wanted to be the youngest female executive in the agency. I wanted to be the first female to manage an entire uh, region. I wanted to have the largest team, all those things. So, and for me, that was purely monetarily driven. And I reached a point where I was like, man, I haven't seen my family in almost three years. I haven't been home for a holiday. I haven't had a weekend off in X amount of years, I haven't been in the gym in six months. I've gained weight. I'm not happy with how I feel. I don't like this. I don't think it's worth it. I live in Manhattan. I'm in this building in Midtown, all of the money that I make, I, I'm not saving. It, you know, it was, I had that moment where I was just like, life has to change. Like, what do I love? I'm going to get back to the core. Well, okay. It's fitness. What do I do? Oh, I'm a marketer. I'm a brand builder. I'm going to find a way to do that for fitness companies. That will get me you know, pivot me, step closer to where I want to be. And so I made that choice to walk away from the money because it doesn't exist as much on the brand side as it does on the agency side um, for happiness, lifestyle, purpose, uh, more control. And I don't, I don't think I work less now, but I have a little bit more freedom of time and place, which is super important because I can see my family. I can work from home, all those things. But I enjoy the work more, you know, building, I don't know, cool campaigns for MasterCard or the U.S. Army or IBM are cool, but I didn't feel passionate about the work. Um, now I can do something cool and I can see, you know, launch the program with Matt Frazier and instantly in a few weeks see 10,000 people getting stronger and making huge PRs and be like, man, I was a part of that. I'm not directly coaching people, but I know that I'm having an impact on these people having huge changes in their lives. So that's a personal choice that I made. uh, But I always still had that thing in my head that says like, all right, you want to be the financial contributor. We've taken all these kind of what would be perceived as steps backwards financially in your career in the last 10 years with reason. But I'm also 40 and thinking about retirement and all of these things like it's, it's still a factor. I think no, once you craft your competency, there's so many free tools out there that can easily help you assess from a market perspective, the value that that role or function provides to a typical organization. You can regionalize that value. I mean, just even something as simple as like salary.com will allow you to do that. Right. And you also know in most cases, especially if you're in like a sales marketing forward-facing role, you know, the impact that your function has on potential revenue. So you can easily make a case if you treat yourself like a business. Um, Here is the value this role 
uh, earns in any organization of this size in this region. And here are just the facts that I can present to so-and-so. Um, here is also the impact that I am able to create or I have created in the past six months or one year on for the business from a bottom line perspective. And then maybe add some softer skills in there. Here's how I'm driving efficiency. Here's how I'm you know, making the team operate more effectively. Here's how I'm minimizing costs in this area, whatever. But it's really just treating it like a business and putting it on paper so you yourself can see this is the value I'm bringing. Now, is my compensation currently matching the value that I'm bringing? If not, like, why am I making that choice? Why am I avoiding that conversation? Um, and hopefully that's enough of a push for you to say, man, I need to have that conversation and just scheduling it. You know, for, for me, I encourage um, my team, we're less formal. I come from large organization background where reviews were structured on a quarterly basis and on an annual basis. And there were tiers for salary increases every year. And if you were getting a promotion, this was the expectation. Those kind of don't exist in small companies. So you have to sort of create them for yourself. But I encourage my team to schedule at least an annual review on, on the calendar, like from their start date um, and know that that's on the book. So they feel ready to have that conversation with me and also be prepared to come to that conversation with real examples of what they've learned, how they've added to the organization and, and what, how they want to, how they want to see that role grow in the next year. Um, but yeah, I think it's just getting get as, as clear as you are about what you want getting clarity for yourself on the valuation of the role and where you want to go. And then using that as power to drive a conversation with your manager. I love that. Lindsay and I have talked about this before, but um, it just comes back down to, you know, professionalizing the art of whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's coaching, a lot of listeners are coaches. So we've talked a lot about that conversation of being a professional coach instead of just, you know, the hobby coach. Um, But I think that that is, something that can be hugely beneficial for anybody in any line of work, right? Like do your homework, do the research, make sure that you go into those conversations, understanding exactly how much value you bring, because I think a lot of us sell ourselves short and it's so fun to ask the question, how are you making waves at the beginning of these episodes? Because we get to see these like different ways that people kind of think about the things that they're contributing, but it comes down to the fact that, you know, you do make a difference. You do make an impact. And to be able to acknowledge that yourself is really, really huge. So I love that, um, that concept and that way of thinking about it is just, you know, come prepared. And, you know, I think sometimes we have to kind of convince ourselves before we feel confident to convince somebody else. Um, so doing that and having all that evidence in front of you is just so powerful. And being like, um, I'm this way. So I sort of expect that my team thinks this way. And sometimes I have to be better at communicating that expectation, but like in every organization, there is hierarchy and there's hierarchy for a reason. Part of that is education, mentorship, um, ascent of some sort. And, and every person on the team plays a critical role and you're, you should always be thinking about the work that you're producing, how it's making the live of someone else to your right or to your left, easier, better, simplified, especially as you're elevating up, like your role is to make your supervisors, your direct supervisor's life easier, right? The more you are an indispensable resource for them, the more value you provide for them, 
the more likely they're going to be to recognize that value when you have those conversations. And like, for me, it's like, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I, Stefan Hayden owned the business. So I serve them. My role is to create as much growth and a successful operation as possible so that they see the value in that and, and reward me for that. But, you know, at a certain, a certain extent, you know, that, that caps at some point, right. Cause I'm not the business owner. So for me, it's like, where are all the other ways that I'm trying to absorb fulfillment and value out of my work and making sure that the whole package comes together. Um, and when I was progressing, that was my strategy was always to make sure that I was, I was the go-to person for whoever I was reporting to. And I didn't let them down uh, because I knew that quality of work, uh, reliability, and as that, as that progressed, I would be rewarded for it. So I, I do think having those conversations more frequently makes them more comfortable, but also, you know, letting your direct supervisor know that like, this is your ambition. This is the expectation on, over the long haul and having them be a part of that process for you, or even asking for their help in developing that plan for you. Um, because it's not always something that you can, you may not, may not have insight into how the business operates into where you can make impact and how you can actually gain direct financial reward from whatever impact that is. But your boss probably knows, or your boss's boss probably knows, and they could, they would love to be a part if they're a leader, they're a leader for a reason and they want to help you. Um, so they'd probably want to shape that plan for you. And everyone is motivated by different things, but we are also all motivated by some type of financial reward. So knowing that there is an ascent is like, I think, a very powerful opportunity for someone, even if that ascent is three years down the road, it's affecting like their motivation today. So it's, it's a powerful conversation that should start when you are, when you take the role, you know, and I think if women do one thing poorly, it's, they don't set themselves up for success when they enter the role, you know, they accept the job with the initial offer without discussion or a counter or really evaluating uh, for the function that I'm saying yes to right now, is this compensation fair? Does it make me happy? Am I motivated? And not saying yes before that. Because at that point, the organization needs you. Like they've they've put in effort to recruit you. They're having this conversation with you. Um, you're the candidate of choice for a reason. So like maximize that entry point and also set expectations about where you want to be in that, in that initial discussion before you accept the offer. And I think women do that. I don't know. Men do that so much better than women just categorically. Um, they're more ballsy. They're maybe the risk aversion that's there is like, Oh, I don't want to lose the opportunity, but no, like you earned the opportunity. They're they're making you the offer. Um, so being more bold there, I think is a, a really powerful thing that women could do better. Damn. I wish 22 year old Lindsay had this conversation. <laughs> would have would have been a lot different financial position right now. When I was at the agency, you know, there was stats that I was unearthing with my team uh, around just, and this is men versus women like this. And this is, you know, 15 years ago, but 40% difference in base compensation between men and women that were performing the same function, all because of that initial offer conversation. And like mind blowing. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm never going to do that again. Yeah. Always ask for more. If I take nothing out of this, know your worth. <laughs> yeah. Or make, and also like make an agreement. Um, if you take less, make an agreement on a set date and time for 
a reevaluation and set the expectation of what that compensation adjustment should be. Yeah. The more, you know, the more you go in prepared and ready to have those conversations, the better off you can be. And I don't, and you don't know what you don't know, right? I, there's a bunch of, a bunch of me, a big part of me that kicks myself for not having those conversations earlier. And I have to invite in that compassion that like at 22, 23, 24, 25, you didn't know, you had no idea that these conversations were even on the menu. Um, Mm. So I so, so appreciate your insight. If ladies listening or men want to follow your journey, pick your brain, get connected, how do they do it? Mostly Instagram. I'm there. I'm, I'm the only one behind my personal page. So I'm there anytime people want to connect. And then of course, um, I am also with most of the time manning most of the hybrid content as well. So uh, connect with us there. Usually the main um, at high performance method channel is the best way. Uh, and then it kind of fractions off into all the other business units uh, in the digital world. But uh, Steph and Hayden are great to follow us too. Awesome. And I can tell you guys by booking this show that Candace is super responsive in DM. So don't be afraid to reach out. It's so crazy. I was listening to one of the latest updates uh, from the Facebook, the head of Facebook creative, I'm sorry, head of Instagram creative. And he was just basically what I took away from his latest update was stories and DM is the platform's future. And although it started as a feed platform and people would expect that that would be the priority, it's just not anymore. Um, and even with some of the changes that they're making, you know, of recent with like link stickers and, and all of that was really just so you could actually continue the conversation. Cause you know, remember if you did a swipe up, you couldn't actually respond to someone or engage with that story. You know, now you can with link stickers as annoying as they are. Um, but man, it, it's creates such a challenge for businesses from a scale perspective, because you are expected to be responsive. Um, that's like a whole another rabbit hole. I'm sure you guys experience this on the NC fit side, like customer support versus social media and the blurred lines of expectations of like connecting with leadership at a brand versus support versus regular engagement. Um, I'm like, it's a lot for businesses to handle, but man, it's changing so fast. Yeah, it's insane. I ran the um, NC fit social for a couple of years and I was like, it was so funny because at the time in my personal life, I was setting all these boundaries with social media and then was like, but crap, I have to sit in DMs all day. Like I can't just delete this app and have a better headspace. Like so many of these gurus are telling me to do. So (laughs) Candace, thank you so much for being on the show. Mike is always open. We so, so appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. 